Hi, everybody. It's Tyler Green. Welcome to a bonus episode of the Modern Art Notes podcast. This is one of a few bonus episodes I'll be producing during the pandemic. Uh, These are going to be looser than our usual show. They'll be less structured and indeed less edited. Um, Instead of being edited by Wilson Butterworth, who has edited this program since episode 10 or something, they got a quick once over from me. Uh, We'll see how I do. My idea for these shows was to talk with some artists, critics, museum directors, and we'll see who else, or is it whom else, I never know, uh, about this moment. Uh, I I hope that these conversations entertain you, of course, and maybe inform your own address of isolation and the pandemic, but certainly these conversations uh, have helped me. Our show is also something of an archive of the art and art history of our time, and I also wanted to do my part to create a record of how the art world is addressing this unusual present. First up, Mary Reed Kelly and Patrick Kelly, who are in the midst of preparing for the presentation of new work at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston when the pandemic hit. Mary's been on the show twice before, Pat once. They're two of my favorite people to talk with. I, I learn more about how to approach my own work as an author and as an historian from them and from their work than almost any other artists. Uh, Special note, during the pandemic, Mary and Pat have made their work available for viewing with no password on their website. We'll have a link from the show page on manpodcast.com. Then on the second segment, you'll hear me chatting with Ursula von Reidingsvard, mostly listening to the great Ursula von Reidingsvard. She's one of our greatest sculptors. She's lived a remarkable life. And hearing her perspective on what this moment is like for her um, was was touching and and affecting. I think you'll uh, really enjoy that. Finally, another reason for doing these shows was to give art museums a way to share with you how they are adjusting to a world in which they are not open. I invited dozens of them to uh, provide free ads about what they're offering all of us right now. Uh, Those will air after this uh, introduction and between the segments. If you work in marketing or PR at an art museum and would like to contribute such and have not heard from me, uh, please drop me a note um, at tyler at manpodcast.com and... uh, and we'll get right on that. Mary Reed Kelly and Patrick Kelly, after the break. Enjoy. While the new museum remains closed at this time, you can stay engaged with the museum by signing up to receive their bi-weekly home delivery newsletters at newmuseum.org and by following the museum on their social media channels. These resources feature rich digital content from the museum's vast archive, as well as content called from their ongoing partnership with Rhizome and New Inc., the new museum's cultural incubator. Hi, I'm Stephen Riley, director of the Speed Art Museum in Louisville, Kentucky. At the Speed, we invite everyone to celebrate art forever. While our museum may be closed to the public right now, our passion for serving that mission definitely is not. So visit our website or follow us on social media, where our curators are sharing behind-the-scenes stories about our permanent collection and upcoming exhibits. Our educators will be engaging and entertaining families and their stuck-at-home children with art sparks from home. And Dean Otto, our awesome film curator at the Speed Cinema, will be sharing recommendations about film on the Speed Cinema streaming platform. As Kentucky's governor reminds us every day, we will get through this together. And the speed will continue inviting everyone to celebrate art at a time when we all need it 
more than ever. So please follow us on your favorite social media platform or visit our website and join us in using art to build a stronger community together. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art and The Momentary in Bentonville, Arkansas, are working to make sure we stay in touch while we're closed. Crystal Bridges marries art, nature, and architecture with a collection that spans five centuries, miles of trails in an Ozark forest, and a Frank Lloyd Wright house. The Momentary is a new contemporary art space and satellite to Crystal Bridges. The museum's entire collection is available online, in addition to educational tools, podcasts, music playlists, videos, and more for both institutions. We invite followers to step inside the work of Carrie James Marshall via virtual reality video and receive cocktail recipes from the Momentary's Tower Bar to make at home. Follow along for unlimited art content with hashtag CBFromHome and hashtag MOFromHome. Go to crystalbridges.org and themomentary.org to learn more. Mary and Pat, hello. Hi. Hello. Are you guys trying to make work now? Yes, kind of. I'm I'm doing some sewing for a costume. Yeah, and I'm doing some kind of studio filming tests for what we're hoping to be shooting soon. <laughs> are, are those the videos that are popping up on your Instagram? Uh, yeah, I guess that's somewhat connected because of the the technological element to them. But yeah, we're, I don't know. It's we're, we're going to be shooting Mary as characters for this piece that we're going to be doing for the Isabella Stewart Gardner museum. And with this, I don't know, it's kind of a long story, but. Well, I mean, technically you're doing some motion tracking. Yeah. Tests. Just the technical part of it is motion tracking because we want to do some handheld shots of this one character when they're reading their bits of the script um just as a contrast to the rest of the shots and um it's not something we normally do we we tend to adhere to the static camera pointed at the stage kind of paradigm of old cinema but for this we thought we would do something different and it partly comes out of the the evolution of how this project is has really changed um, because initially we thought we might be actually shooting at the museum in their court. But over time we realized that it would be probably both easier and better to go back to the way we typically shoot things on green screen and make a, make our version of the Isabella Stewart Gardner courtyard. Tell people what the project is. Well, so the ISG is part of a big multi-institution show of Titians right now, um, bringing together the Posey paintings that Titian made for Philip II, I think, of Spain. And I think it's on its first leg, I think, in London. And, mm-hmm. of course, the it's National been... National Gallery. Show- yeah, yeah, exactly. And it just basically got some good reviews, and then it was shuttered like everything else. But... This particular commission is from the gardener for when the Titians hopefully come to Boston as part of the last stop of the show. And they've commissioned us to make a response to um, the gardener's Titian, which is the Rape of Europa. So 
Easy subject. No big deal. (laughs) Is it any different working now than normally? Well, the a big one, and it for me at least is instead of turning my phone off when I work, I'm leaving it on because (laughs) I've got like many more worried people to kind of um, Mm -hmm. communicate with, and my my parents are isolated, and you know my siblings are going nuts with their kids, and so. you know, just trying to be more accessible to the people that we know and, and don't want to go totally insane. So um, yeah. that that's kind of a big change because I find yeah. interruption um, to be difficult to recover from. So, um, but it's just got to be that way because uh, people people need you and we need them. So just trying to adjust. Pat, would you be working on motion studies and adding tricks to the repertoire if it were a normal time? Um, I I probably would be, but Mm. I'm finding that these, I don't know, I'm finding the opportunity to sort of dive into problem solving sort of therapeutic. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I do that normally, I guess, but it's just really... It's it's nice to get my mind off of the uncertainty and the worry by diving into these kind of nerdy technical problems and figuring them out. And then, I don't know, and then having at least that aspect of what production will be later, um, have, having kind of having that figured out a little bit more puts me a little bit more at ease, I guess. That's funny because last night I noticed that everything, virtually everything I've read in the last two weeks has been about the 1850s and 60s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so maybe I'm doing that too and didn't until last night realize it. Do you think the pandemic in whatever way will find its way into your work, either this work or in the near future? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely do. In fact, so as it's probably obvious, we're we're at the point right now when we're gearing up to film. So hopefully in a couple of weeks we'll be filming. And that means that the writing is done, but I'm going to revisit it um, and just open it back up because partly structurally it's it's possible I don't have to rewrite the entire thing because what it is, it's a cycle of about 30 limericks about the development of civilization because that's to to really boil it down that's what i think the rape of europa is about it's about the origins of civilization and how uh civilizations and, and states often stand on great wells of pain um pain of uh the enslavement of groups of people the control of women and also disease is absolutely foundational to that. And, you know, so many diseases like tuberculosis and measles come out of humans' close association with animals. This is even true with coronavirus. And so these things are all definitely tied to to our to our civilizational status. You know, we can't have civilization without these close ties to 
to animals and people have been dealing with these diseases and their ebbs and flows for as, for as long as we've been living in large groups. So I think it's appropriate to to revisit the writing and, and to open it up. It's interesting you mentioned that because one of the reasons I thought of, of calling y'all was that your work so often deals with history um, or almost always deals with history. Um, and have you been thinking about uh, plagues past? Yes, some. I mean, when to go back to our earlier work, which started off as being set in the context of the First World War, but it doesn't actually deal very much with warfare and or with combat. It deals with some of the secondary mm-hmm. effects and problems of the conflict, such as women entering the workforce and, and definitely with disease and particularly venereal disease. And that's the subject of the last World War, World War I film, You Make Me Iliad. And the next film after that, which takes place in mid-19th century Paris, the syphilis of Sisyphus, which was kind of revisiting the same theme in a different historical context. And I guess the reason that, you know, I got interested in venereal disease in in the wartime context was from reading letters and memoirs written by people who were close to the fighting and how it's almost like the fear of the disease was just as real and and just as much of a object of continual kind of thinking about it worrying about it and and these were often written by people who were quite young and had limited sexual experience and so all these things were being laid on top of each uh, of each other like a first sexual experience and the threat of disease being a first combat experience, of course, and your first experiences with violence, and all of these just tied together in a knot that was the same knot for the people who experienced it. And so that's why when we made the films, we didn't separate the strands either. It was all the same knot of anxiety and fear and myth. And, um, you know, of course, World War I was, was right before and antibiotics and of course yeah the spanish flu came right at the end of it so (laughs) it was impossible it's impossible to separate the spanish flu from the war so all of these things happen to people more or less simultaneously one of the things about your work that's such fun is um is that even within the the seriousness and direness that you were just talking about, Mary, it's often really funny. There are mm-hmm. there are jokes in the scripts. Pat's camera or editing might be a better word has a way of lingering, you know, just for a split second in a way that <laughs> drives home a laugh. Do either of you think about whether it's easier or harder to be um, a little bit funny in the work? at a time like now? You know, I guess one thing I'm looking at as we're all going through this together is when when is the tone going to shift? Because right now there's a lot of cheer and we got this and here's some free content, you know, 
you know, what we did with putting our, our works out with no password and what you're doing with these podcasts, basically kind of what can I do in terms of kind of contributing? However, that it can't go on forever. And I, I really hope that kind of this isolation and the illness is not going to go on as long as some people think, but we don't know. And, and eventually like in the first world war, there was a definite tonal shift Mm -hmm. that happened. I would say it happened in maybe early, early 20, uh, sorry, early 1916. And this was, or basically the moment when they realized the war wasn't going to be over by Christmas, that it was going to go on for a long time. And then people's attitude really changed. And then you have a different, then what makes the terms of survival change and what makes sense for the terms of survival in a response, they change as well. So kind of at the beginning, you have this kind of this nobility and this um, kind of purified nationalistic sacrifice for, for, you know, home and country and family and everything. And that totally changes by about early 2016 to kind of, uh, sorry, 1916. Yeah, sorry. Um, But this, this idea of then you have much more irony, black humor, that type of thing takes over from this kind of high minded nationalistic patriotism. And so we could have that too. In in other words, the national moment may approach your work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess, you know, one thing like, so I, I love poetry, obviously, and there's been a lot of sharing of poetry. There's, I think, mainly on Twitter, there's like a um, read a sonnet thing and all these good actors are reading sonnets and regular people are reading sonnets. And I've been thinking, well, like, you know, what about, (laughs) what about filth? I mean, people like, what about less PG things? We're going to pretty soon, people are going to get tired of like, nice sonnets and like coloring activities and (laughs) both of which I like, but I think there's a definite in, in kind of the let's keep our spirits up tone of the sharing of media that's happening right now. There's definitely to me a beginning of the crisis tone to it. And we'll, we'll just see how much the tone changes. That that's, that's, Interesting. I, I now that you mention it, I've, I've been working on a book project and been as, as as part of the chapter I've been writing in the last week. Um, I've been reading and analyzing um, a book from 1859 that is in part um, a work of poetry criticism. And now that you mention it, I have been spending more time reading the scores of poems in the book than I have on previous swings at the same chapter. And I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to think about that now. Pat, do you think about how, whether or how any of the things Mary has been talking about should look in in the work in the next couple of years? Um, about whether there are those kind of references to noir or references to uncertainty, and how that might come across um, in in your shooting or your editing? Yeah, I guess. I mean, thinking about this project in particular, um, with the rape of Europa, 
we, Mary and I have already talked about how I, I had worked on a project with a, a collaborative thing with a friend of mine who's a dance performer and did a very simple virtual set for him that was constantly in motion in this to create this sort of unsettled space that unsettled impossible space um, but that still made you think that the dancers were in space but and we we talked about for this project having a similar sense of kind of an, an ungrounded moving set that is so obviously immediately recognizable as a you know a sort of cartoon of the museum but also just moving and and kind of unsettling to the point of maybe even being slightly nauseating. <laughs> we'll see how it works. We'll have to adjust that accordingly. Well, to... I'll be a good canary in the coal mine for that. Yeah, <laughs> right. You'll look Very at sensitive to yeah. emotion <laughs> Right. No, no Lars von Trier action going on this. But so yeah, we've been we I've been thinking about how the the shooting of this will be tied into the virtual sets and how, I mean, I guess we've been thinking about how it could be kind of, I guess I've maybe even talked about this, but slightly darker kind of space um, in terms of the way we shoot it and the way it's illuminated because it is in this, it is going to be in this kind of uh, our version of the, the gardener courtyard, which is this beautiful, rich, uh, kind of lush recreation of an Italian sort of villa space mm -hmm. that's illuminated from skylights. But by, by our abandoning this idea of shooting it really in situ in the space and making our recreation of it, that frees us up to make our version of it, which can be as dark as we want it to be, you know, both literally and figuratively. So that remains to be seen as we, <laughs> how we want to shoot it. Well, sorry. I, I guess whether something is, I've been thinking about what makes something dark or not dark. I, the thing, the book that I just finished is Stephen King's The Shining. And I'm, I'm a King fan, but I had never read The Shining, partly because I'm a big fan of the movie, um, uh, the Kubrick film. And, and the film is so complete and I never thought I had really to read the book. But, um, of course, King hated the Kubrick film. And so anyways, I, I read, I read the novel and it was, it was really great. And I have to say, as people's needs as, as, this crisis gets more stressful change and people start being more honest <laughs> or not, not that people are being dishonest, but right now I think we're still in an ideal. People are saying what's their ideal thing to read and what's their um, wish list for being productive when we're in this kind of break from the normal. But something like King is in my mind, a really excellent thing to read because when you're reading him and you're really into it, there's nothing else there. And because he really takes over your brain and your imagination space. And, and King, of course, is a master of horror, but 
I find there's a lot of humor and a lot of lightness in in his style, and uh, he's he's just a master of the American vernacular, and he has all of these crazy phrases and uh, um, ways of making his characters speak, and and so there's just a lot of a lot to appreciate, and so like what makes King so dark when so much of King is funny, and and I think actually it is it is the funny, it's the proximity of the funny to the extremely horrifying but you know bleak is not a word i would use for king so there's there's all kinds of different shades of what makes something horrifying and what what makes something scary or dark and but king it is the last it is not a somber book he's not a somber writer i think he's a great person to read right now and well, that so, makes me. We, we just we just watched Jacques Tati's Playtime again for the first time in a long time, and this reminds me of that. How we were like, I thought you that. Came, yeah, you came out and said this is a great horror movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> it kind of is. It is a horror movie. It really, it has this. It has this tension that's like it's really unnerving. It's My beautiful God. and hilarious, but incredibly unnerving and disturbing too. And that uh, it's scarier than like the opening of saving private ryan (laughs) there are moments but i i love that space it's it's an amazing space to create but it's partly because you know saving private ryan is not metaphor it's it it purports to be even though it's a fiction film it purports to be it's clinging to this uh, like a barnacle to realism (laughs) And and Tati, it's like you don't really know what the metaphor is. It's like the metaphor is, you know, one of the ghosts haunting the Overlook Hotel. You don't quite know what the metaphor is. You mm-hmm. don't know what's being criticized. You have you have some theories. They keep getting disproven. And so you know where, you know, in Saving Private Saving Private Ryan, it's the camera that gets constantly shook in playtime it's like the metaphor and the story that you're trying to build about what the film is about that's what's constantly shaking and so that's why it's actually a scary film you're reminding me that one of the books i most want to read and it's a book that does not exist so far as i know is a history of metaphor yeah. oh well you could read the sontag book <laughs> the what is it the Illness is metaphor, cancer is metaphor, AIDS is metaphor. The, the one I read a lot um, is, is Emerson's Nature, which I, I think could be considered the beginning of metaphor in, um, uh, in American art um, and maybe even a little more broadly in American culture. But, but that's just American, American use of the thing. How, um, you know, we're only a couple weeks into this as we're, as we're talking do either of you think about how to remain engaged with the world of ideas and the ideas, not just that inform your work, but kind of the routine bouncing of ideas off of other people to see if they stick or the routine talking with people and having their responses to you inform the depth of your understanding about things? That's interesting. How much can you do without anyone? I mean, so I think that this looks different for every artist and kind of how big their circle is of people that they listen to and essentially people that they trust. And I think it comes down to their personality and their circumstance. And I think, and there's 
you know, as many ways to make it work as, as there are artists making it work. And, but for us, it's been a fairly smallish circle of probably no more than a dozen people whose opinion one way or the other we would actively seek or listen to if they offered it. I was okay with that before and I'm okay with it now. And I don't think I need, I guess. Well, I was just thinking how we just <clears throat> going back briefly to movies we've been watching. We finally watched Parasite and I just remember at the end of that, the first thing we were saying to each other was, here's someone who wrote, directed, wrote the screenplay. Like it had, it had this, and, and it had this feel of coming from one person's imagination, I guess. And I'm not saying that, that, you know, he, he doesn't have, listen to other people or follow criticism. It's just that I think something we talk about a lot is letting, in, in terms of the writing, letting you, and then as, as writer and performer, letting you inhabit the whole thing so that it can go into some pretty strange places. Is that what you're asking, Tyler, is like how how the kind of economy of the flow of ideas between artists, if that's really changing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think that changed this for us yet. Um, the thing, the big thing that we're going to miss is seeing the exhibitions and seeing things in person. Yeah. And that's going to come home to people. It is coming home to people. How awful it is not to get to see things. Right. And and it's it is great to be able to see pictures and people are doing what they can and you know galleries on their Instagram TV are walking us through their exhibitions and that's great and I've watched some of those, but it's not the same and we can't can't kid ourselves that it's it's the same even even for us you know watching one of our films on your laptop uh is not the same as seeing it right. uh, projected it's not the same when you can stop it and start it and like you know it's a different uh it's a different experience and we're glad people are having it but it's not the same as going and seeing it one of the things i noticed i've been watching your work um, the last few nights, um, and I downloaded the, uh, I guess it's Vimeo app to my my phone so I could Chromecast it to my TV. Uh, (laughs) And one of the things I noticed was the difference in the whites um, and the blacks in in the work. So when watching your work in a dark uh, gallery setting, the difference mm-hmm. between the whites and blacks is more acute and kind of, that was a bad word, meaningful, appointed, um, yeah. consistent than, than, than when, um, you know, my Samsung TV and in the dark room makes everything bright anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. And I mean, the, having, having these, the videos accessible, the main thing isn't, you know, getting rid of any sort of artificial, scarcity thing or something it's we've always said when people ask why we don't have stuff before when we have didn't have stuff accessible online it was not about that it was about wanting to 
maintain that um, exhibition presence of it and, and being able to have the projection look the way we want it to look. So it's reflecting the care we took in the costume and the grayscale and, and everything. And so when we, we opened it up, it was more like saying, okay, we're not going to care about that. We just want people to see the work, but mm -hmm. it is, I mean, <laughs> it is, it is, it, that's part of the work is the way it looks, you know, and that's something that I think has kind of evolved over time too, as we grew to love the grayscale even more than we did at first. I think. We're only two weeks in, I know, um, or maybe three. Do you worry or think about maybe not having access to materials you need? Yeah. Yeah, we do. I mean, we're actually going through that right now because we're transitioning from writing and concepts to actually filming. And so, you know, I need, for example, I need a really big canvas tarp right now and I don't know where I'm going to get it. But I think we, I think it's a good time to just, discover your maybe go deeper than you wanted to on on your ability to make do um yeah and i think that's always been part of our aesthetic too it, it is um, it's just i really do want a canvas star yeah and so right and so to have this like hard line drawn is a whole different thing from a kind of taking pleasure and making do with what you have there, it's a whole different world when it's like, well, you don't have a choice now. You, this is the way it is. But it'll be interesting should should this become kind of part of our lives that we have to live with for a while. How how this affects artists and the larger, you know, when you're talking about the economy of ideas and between artists. What would really interest me is if this was a conversation that artists started having is, is it really necessary to have the latest and greatest of this or everything at our fingertips? And what, what does making do look like now that we have such a technologically advanced society, but our global supply chains have not only taken a huge, huge blow, but we've all been treated to a demonstration of how ethically problematic they are and how prone to crashing and how just so many problems. So, I mean, even, even if things go, quote, back to normal, they're never going to be back to normal because we've seen, we've seen the problems. We've seen how ethically shaky everything is. So can we go back to a place where things are materially normal for artists? I, it, that's about the fourth time you all have said something that, that makes me think of Dada. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, see, and that's interesting because that's part of that 1916 reaction against just the grinding patriotism. That's you had to have the kind of grinding optimism before you got something like Dada, before you got a reaction like that. Yeah, I'm wondering, maybe we'll have our, like, hopefully small-scale Dada. We'll all be back to, like, crayons. Dada, the world's first anti-war movement, and it all came out of art and, art, and art's relationship with poetry. Last thing, um, what do you 
think about in terms of, oh my God, I can't wait to do this when this is all over? I can't wait for Pat to go grocery shopping and come home and have me not strip everything off of him and throw it immediately into the hot water yeah. washing machine. Yeah, that sounds good for sure. Can't wait to go back to Ireland. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I guess this isn't like a going back to normal thing, but I, this was on, I really want us to not, to kind of be able to listen to what's going on. And I really want this to make a difference in the election mm -hmm. that's coming up. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty desperate for that. I know a lot of people are. So I want to vote. <laughs> <laughs> I want to vote. I want, I want to be able to vote by mail too, everywhere. Yes. yes. Yeah. Pat and Mary, thanks very much. Tyler, thank you thank so you. much. The Columbus Museum brings American art and history right to you. It's a tough time right now when you can't engage at museums the way you are used to, but it's the perfect time to take a look at columbusmuseum.com slash virtualmuseum to check out tours of our exhibitions, curator chats about objects in our collections, and even videos and downloadable activities for the kids. Search our collection to see art and history from a range of genres and subjects, and take a peek at our historic Bradley Olmsted Garden. Come get to know the Columbus Museum at columbusmuseum.com. From the Des Moines Arts Center, through its collections, exhibitions, and educational programming, the Des Moines Arts Center provides opportunities for transformational art experiences. This week, the Arts Center launched seven virtual tours of their permanent collections and special exhibitions. Visitors across the globe can walk through galleries of contemporary art housed in three buildings designed by world-renowned architects and peruse special exhibitions featuring the artworks of Hedda Stern, Carla Black, and more, all at desmoinesartcenter.org slash visit slash virtual tours. The tours were produced in partnership with EMC insurance companies. Like many things that have defined our schedules and activities, Tuesday evenings at the Modern must reconfigure. The Modern Art Museum of Fort Worth invites you to join us, as usual, on Tuesdays from 7 to 8 p.m. for Being There, Revisiting Tuesday Evenings at the Modern, a rebroadcast of past lectures on YouTube. Terry Thornton, Curator of Education, will introduce each presentation with an online chat to follow. Visit www.themodern.org for more information. Ursula, hello. Hi, Tyler. Hi. Are you trying to make work now? I, I mean, I, I have it easy, right? I get to, I, I type for for a living. Um, but can you make work now? Well, it's been about five weeks that I've been in my little apartment in New York City. And of course, New York City is the epicenter of the epidemic. Uh, and uh, it's it's sort of takes a lot of energy just to keep oneself sane or keep oneself in a way that 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 you're not sort of falling apart uh so um i i am not working this is the first time in my life that i haven't worked for so long and it's and it's very, very painful. I can't go to my studio. My people can't go to my studio. 
the only people that work are the administrative people that work, uh, you know, through their computers. Uh, but, but, but my people can't work because it's just not possible. Do you think about the work you'll make when this is over or you're, or are you not at that point yet? No, 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 no. I mean, I, I, I don't even, I, I, I can't think, you know, about things like that. You know, it's, it's almost too practical you know what what i do do is is i lost my husband april the 13th of last year and every day since i have been writing him letters you know to somehow you know in my fantasies that i'm concretizing him you know and that i still have some say about his loss uh so i've been that that that's that's a huge part of my life now is writing letters to him and and i find that so much easier because i actually have some drawing paper that was sent to me so that i could draw and it's so difficult you know you look at this white page you know there are no hints about what else you can do and you know you feel like taking a knife and you know going at it but 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 you know, that's not going to do it. Uh, but anyway, I have this piece in my studio that's different from from many of the others that I've done. And I think I think that 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 a number of the pieces that I've made since my husband died, you know, his death had an effect on those those works. So this last one that I made has something like a, a, a center that is really solid, organic, and it's about, um, it's not quite 20 feet, but it's about 18 feet high. And, uh, and, 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 and it's just sort of a solid um, structure that's a little bit uh, less wide at the bottom than it is at the top. And around it, there are things that I've never done before. Around it, I have, this is all in cedar still, and I have patches, like really um you know patches that are that are not not real squares but patches that 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 sort of sort of work with one another but not really not in any sort of a formal way that that hang down over that 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 that, that, that enormous central rounded thing and these patches are about six inches, some of them are, and some of them have like two or three patches. So that when you look at the piece, you look at the body of the piece, but the body of the piece gets uh, interrupted by the patches. And the patches are made out of cedar as well. They're organic, but they're not really uh, 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 alive or, 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 or they're, 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 they're sort of relaxed. It's very hard to talk about, you know, to, 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 to describe work that's visual, 
but that's the best that I can do. So that when you look at the piece, you can see all of what's in between that central monstrous thing, round thing. You know, you can see like, you know, there, there are, there are extensions of sometimes six inches, sometimes two inches, sometimes three inches, and sometimes three layers. And sometimes the three layers, you know, are piggybacking one another. They're cooperating with one another. So that's the last piece I did. And I'm not quite through with it. I'm not quite through with it. So I, and and I and and when I come to this to my my apartment, it's very very difficult, you know, to sort of get a mindset for me to have any clarity about what it is that I'm going to be doing next with my artwork. Or I, that's I mean I have been having that problem. I I'm not sure anybody else has been. But but it's really, you know, this episode in my life, you know, and I think it's probably true for many, many lives, is the most confusing, the most, you know, painful, the most, you know, um, and, and especially when you have to live through it alone. I think it would be very, very different for me if my husband was with me, extremely different, but I'm alone and it's, and it, and it makes you feel, uh, you know, like, 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 like you can tip over, you know, very easily if, if, if you don't, if you, if you're not, if you're not really careful. Well, thank you for, thank you for sharing that. I, I found one of the things I, I don't, I'm not one of those people who goes back and looks at and reads my own work unless it's relevant for what I'm working on now. Um, yes. But I've found that sometimes I can slow my brain down by reading stuff I wrote 15 years ago. And I, and maybe, does it work that way for, for, for you? Do you look at earlier work as a way of finding a, a peacefulness or a calm? Yeah, no, I rarely look at my old work. Uh, I rarely, rarely do that. Um, but, but if I could say, you know, what helps me not really, you know, to go, not to go to the, the extreme of, of, of just completely having a breakdown is that I, 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 my, 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 my whole life is so rigorously planned. You know, I wake up at five o'clock every morning. I do my exercises until six thirty, and I leave my house at seven ten. And I go to the studio, and I meet my people at at, at about ten of eight. And at eight o'clock, we have a meeting. We have a quick meeting about what, what the needs are, you know, what happened yesterday or what happened wrong or what we need to, you know, to, to, to get that we don't have. Uh, so it's, um, so, and, and then I, I spent an entire day and then come home and eat and go to sleep. But, but a lot of times there are evening things that I do. And, and, and in this case, I feel like there, it's, it's, it's a sh sort of 
sort of jail, but that's stupid of me to say because I've never been in jail. I'm sure that jails are much, much worse. That 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 um, I I you know I I when when I do go outside, this is a very important thing that I have to go outside, uh, and I've been running parallel to the East River. And when the East River, you know, has waves in it, because it's close to the ocean, has waves in it, it's just beautiful, you know. So I do my runs. They're not really runs, but they're sort of runs. You know, if, if when I do them, I do them as soon as the sun rises, because there's just fewer people there then. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, uh, there's the, there's the FDR Drive to my left. To my right, it's the river. To my left, it's the FDR Drive. And there are three lanes going one side and three lanes going the other side so that they make a noise that is so tough, you know, that is so harsh. But anyway, it seems like 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 freedom you know compared to being locked in 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 the in the apartment uh and i went to my dentist yesterday and he's like the only dentist all my dentists are are in their in their in their uh, summer homes you know like whatever they but this guy this guy is here and he's still continuing to practice so i found him and uh just having his body close to me because he has to be you know and having his hand like in my mouth you know and it's not that it felt so good it just like was so so unfamiliar and I was so glad to have it just like I was so glad when I ran out of his office to go go through Central Park and see all of the plants that are growing and how green it was and it was pouring that day. But I it was like 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 with each thing I saw, it was like, oh my God, you know, it just it just felt so good, you know. So there are ways in which I can fight it, you know, in which I can but I can't think about my art. I, I just can't, you know. Your your work is so organic, not just in in the material at at its heart, but you know we've talked before about how it it tempts touch, and cedar has a particular aroma. And in my imagination of what it's like to be an artist, um, because you know obviously I'm not one, I, I imagine that it must be harder to be away from the thing because the the real natural world is such at the heart of what you do. I think that's a that's a beautiful statement. You're very right. It's very insightful. Are there ways when when you're at home that you stay in touch with ideas and things that interest your practice, whether it's books about artists or, or, um, you know, anything? (laughs) Well, it's not, it's not, uh, directly artists, but, but I, I'm just reading a book now that is 
so, so sweet. It is the, the postman, and it's Antonio Scarmetta, and he's the one that, that is the postman for Neruda. Uh, for, the, for the for the and 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 it's and, and it's like in in his in his peculiar and marvelous you know mind this Antonio writes about then his relationship with this this great great poet and 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 that makes my heart beat you know but it's not directly you 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 know I. Let's see. I, I never go to something to to say, oh, this will make me think of art, you know, or this will help me with my artwork. It comes, it sneaks up in very different ways and very unusual ways. So all for all I know is that all of the sort of the the fear, you know, that I have of what's coming up with 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 this coronavirus, you know, you know, I, I and I, I I I don't think things like, well, this might be in my next piece, you know, because I don't I don't know things like that. I think that there's a deeper place that's not so conscious that I dip into. And I don't know what you call it. I, it's probably not the brain. It's probably not the. I don't know what it is, but 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 it's 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 subtle, and it doesn't announce itself, and you don't even know. It's very very difficult to know after you make a piece, you know where it came from, what 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 made you do it. It's 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 really hard. In the first um, week of of self isolating, um, I found that I, you know, could work as normal during the day, um, mm -hmm. but kind of at the end of the day when uh, I wanted, you know, a mental escape or a place to go. Um, but I, I looked around my bookcases and my eyes almost immediately landed on about 25 books I have or 20, 25 books um, about Pierre Bernard. Um, oh, wow. And, and so I just, you know, kind of the first three or four weeks, three or four days of this, um, I just sat on the couch in the evening with Pierre and found that oh. comfortable place. Um, oh, that's great. That's great. Are there any old standards like that you, you, you turn to or you find yourself thinking about? Well, I, I love the Dueno elegies. I mean, I've, I've, I read them over and over and over again. And basically, you know, a, a, a lot of his work, um, but uh, not the early work, you know, but the later work. Do you think about whether there's anything in your life experience that has prepared you for now? Yes. It's World War II. I was a little girl, and I think I must have been uh, three years old or four years old when my father dug a groove in the land, 
knowing because he was hearing bombs coming closer and closer to where we were, knowing that they were coming closer, but I'm, I'm not sure that he made the right decision and I'm not sure whether he was sure of what to do. And I'm not sure that anybody knew what to do, but we were in Germany then. And my father was uh, our first forced laborer and he was a fantastic, fantastic farmer, you know, like he could do the work of seven men. And so that the people that were over him really, really liked him and really knew how valuable he was to them. But when he when he made these grooves in the land, we then had six children. My parents had six children. So he put me in 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 one part of the groove and then there was somebody else above me in another part of the, you know, it was, I guess I guess it was one groove. And and I'm not sure because when he put me in the groove, he just put also wooden wooden just planks, just wooden planks on top. And I think from that I got uh, my uh, phobias about being enclosed. You know, like I would never even want to be dead in a coffin. <laughs> It would scare the hell out of me. I mean, just thinking about it would scare the hell out of me. But, but I, you know, but, but, but I also had the opportunity of getting out of that groove and looking at the bombs and they looked so beautiful, but they didn't look so beautiful when they came closer because the sounds were so loud. And I think that probably my father probably took us into some cellar. I mean, I can't really remember anything. I can just remember laying underneath those wooden planks, uh, you know, and it being dark and I being alone. So, so, but, but honestly, this, this thing, I don't know, you know, my being older and my being, you know, my being older and alone in, in, in the, in the, in the war case, I had six other children, you probably, you know, brothers and sisters, which was such, such a wonderful, wonderful, um, thing to have because it's life all around you and there were times when my mother allowed me to sleep with her and she had uh, my her husband on one side and I would wrap my hand my hands around her body and plaster myself to her back and no matter what would happen I was happy. I was the happiest person in the world, kid in the world. I felt so safe. You know, I felt if anything happened, I wouldn't care because I'm here, you know, in heaven already with my mother. So, but this is just, again, as a little girl, as a little girl of about, this is a, this, this incident is, is, is when I was already six, five, five or six. It wasn't during the war, it was after the war. 
I don't know. I, 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 I can't think of any other thing that felt that intensely piercing and wrong and and with 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 terrible you know rules it was following with with uh, you know with people dying that didn't have to die i mean i I don't even want to go there but 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 you know it's so um anyway but but of course that the world war two, you know, had so much more, so much more damage, or I don't know how to, how to compare the two. I don't know how to compare it to the two, but this is as big an, a, a wow and an unknown as, as, as that war felt to me when I was a little girl. Do you think of, in in terms of things you can't wait to do again or things you're eager to? Oh, yes, 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 yes. I have so many friends and I'm so crazy about them and I can't wait to see them. So I call them on the phone constantly and they call me and we talk about what we're going to do. And we always, it always seems to be the thing, the dinners that we liked together, where and what we talked about together. Where, you know, it's like, yes, yes. And that helps. It helps a lot. You know, my phone is, 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 is a part of my lifeline. Ursula, thank you. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. Thank you. 